listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Virtual Skylight Books. We are so excited to have you here this afternoon to celebrate Jim Terry's memoir, Come Home Indio. Um, My name is Hallie. I'm the Assistant Events Manager at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. For those of you who don't know Skylight, we are a general bookstore serving the historic Los Angeles neighborhoods of Hollywood, Los Feliz, Silver Lake, Echo Park, and downtown. Um, If you are local, come by tonight, but you can also come by anytime. Our hours are 10 to 10, or you can find us online at skylightbooks.com. We do nationwide shipping and curbside pickup. And without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce Jim Terry and Ezra Clayton Daniels. Jim Terry was born in Southern California and grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. His mother was a Native American from the Ho-Chunk Nation of Wisconsin, and his father was an Irish-American jazz musician from Chicago. Jim is a prolific comic book artist who has worked on such comics as The Crow, Skinning the Wolves, Sundowners, Alice Cooper vs. Chaos, not Chicago, excuse me, Vampirella, and more. He travels the Comic-Con circuit and has self-published several of his own comic books. Jim lives in Chicago. Come Home Indio is his debut as an author. Ezra Clayton Daniels is a mixed-race, multidisciplinary artist and creator of the award-winning graphic novels Upgrade Soul and BTTM FDRS. Apologies if that's not how you say it. Uh, with illustrator, okay, cool. With illustrator Ben Passmore. Ezra's work has been featured on the Criterion Channel at Chicago's Museum of Contemporary Art and is in the permanent collection of the Whitney Museum. Ezra currently resides in Los Angeles, where he writes for film and television, including Doom Patrol, based on the DC Comics series for HBO Max. Please join me in welcoming them to the stage. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Hey, Jim, it's great to meet you. First of all, I have to say, everybody who's tuned in, it was 100% my fault that we started late. I could not figure out this app situation. So thanks for bearing yeah. with me. But Jim, it's awesome cold, to meet but, you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> likewise, very nice to meet you. Um, I yeah. was asked to introduce myself and, and briefly talk about the book before we started our discussion. And uh, I guess, uh, well, I'm Jim Terry. I'm a comic book artist from Chicago, as she said earlier. And, um, you know, this this book is a, is a memoir pretty much from you know, uh, right before I was born till, you know, maybe a, maybe a couple of years ago. And, uh, and, uh, it's, it's about, geez, I wasn't expecting to have to, (laughs) I didn't prepare for this, but 
I, I don't know what to say what it's about. It's about a number of things and uh, all of them are pretty personal to me, but uh, hopefully universally um, connectable in some way. And, uh, and as, as she said, also, I'm, I'm, I'm also mixed race. I'm, I'm native and, and Irish. And uh, that is just one of the many things among uh, also like growing up in the eighties, you know, and, and uh, trying to fit in. And also I, you know, as it's detailed in the book, you know, I, I struggled with alcoholism for a while and have come out the other end of that, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and so it's about a lot of things. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult to uh, encapsulate it in any, any kind of uh, good, decent way. So I'll, I'll just stop trying. Yeah, I was like, I had the um, synopsis of the book copied and pasted into my little document in case you wanted me to read that. But I think you just like, what you said just now is like, you know, obviously so much more of a natural description for the book than anything that was copied and pasted from the web. But like, yeah, I mean, your book, honestly, when I when Liz sent it to me from uh, from your publisher, I was just like, this is the most important and like beautiful and like and like penetrative graphic memoir I think I've ever read, at least certainly in the last few years. And it was like something that really touched me personally, also as a mixed race person and someone from the same generation. I think we have a lot of the same cultural touchstones and the stuff that affected us, inspired us, and felt like it gave us a home. Um, you talk a lot in your book about um, like 80s horror and just like 80s pop culture. And I think that that was like for me too and a lot of other people of our generation that was such a, a, a home for us when our actual home was maybe not so welcoming or we didn't feel like we had a place. We always had that place um, in pop culture. And I think that's such a interesting through line uh, in your story that I'd like to get back to in a, a few questions in. But the first question I wanted to ask you um, was just doing a memoir like this must have been such a difficult decision. Is there, what made you decide to make this book when you did? Well, I am a, traditionally I'm, I'm just a, a, a gun for hire as far as, as uh, illustration is concerned in the comic industry, just, you know, I went to the American Indian Center in Chicago. I had previously lived very, very far from it. And uh, when I moved up to the north side, I, I decided to pop my head in there and, and uh, see if there's anything that I could do to help out there, you know, and, and uh, I'm, I'm an artist, maybe I could teach an art class, you know, and, and the guy there, he was like, well, what do you what do you draw? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a working artist. So whatever they pay me to draw is what I do. And uh, he was, he was excited about that, because he felt that most of the kids, especially native kids, they feel that they have to do something that is, you know, in other words, they just, they, they're supposed to draw wolves howling at, a, you know, an orb in the sky and eagles and things like that. And, and he thought it was very exciting to have somebody who, who just, you know, try, tries to make a living at it. And, uh, and so that's what I do. And my idea of uh, doing a memoir is, that was not appealing to me because I'm, I'm terrified of people knowing too much about me generally. And most of my life, I've just tried to fit in and not make, not make waves about who I am or, or, you know, not disturb whatever situation I'm in for too long. And, uh, and the idea of putting all that out there was, was a bit daunting, but Liz Francis, who, who, uh, who runs street noise publishing, 
she spoke to me at a convention and she had known I had briefly been at Standing Rock and that that I, uh, I had recently done a very short autobiographical cartoon. It was just one page and she, she thought that might be interesting. I did not want to do it, but after she explained the acumen of her company and giving voice to marginalized people and concentrating on that and, you know, the saying that, you know, this would be helpful to other people, then I thought, well, I, that's kind of what I'm supposed to do now in my life. I'm supposed to try and help other people as a, you know, as, as a byproduct of, of being sober now and trying to be helpful. That's sharing my story is about the only way that I think I can. So that with that in mind, I, I took it on and, and just went for it. I love that. And I love what you were talking about, about just, you know, the expectations as a native artist that you were faced with, you know, trying to find a community um, that aligned with your sense of identity. I wonder if there's anything you could add about about how you feel your memoir fits into the sort of canon of native art uh, in literature. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I really couldn't answer that. You know, I, if I think about it too much, I, I'll get, I'll get panicky and, and think I'd <laughs> totally. wrong in, in any, in any portion of anything, you know, that's just, that's just traditionally the way that I've, as the book says very plainly over and over and over, I've never really felt like I fit in mm -hmm. and uh, in anything, you know, even in the comics industry, I feel like, uh, you know, a guy standing in the background, you know, just kind of scraping by at times. And, and, um, and so the idea of fitting into a canon, especially of the incredibly gifted native authors who are out there, it's just something that I don't, I don't consider if it, if, if other people find it and that's the thing. And, and, and we, t we've spoken about this before, Ezra, the, the idea of who is your audience and who are you, who are you trying to reach? And I didn't really think about that too much while I was working on this because my, my story, when I was thinking of it, it felt singular, even though it's not, but as I was working on it, it felt that way. And so to, to pursue it with the idea that it might reach some sort of status in anywhere just seemed like a, like a ridiculous act of hubris. I totally understand that. And you know what, like that's not, that's not on you to decide how it fits in the canon anyways, that's on the public and the academics and we'll just leave that to them. But there's a, another part of that question that I wanted to ask. And this is kind of, a lot of these questions are just like me asking you as someone who's thinking about doing a memoir myself. Okay. And like, I want to know like what the pitfalls are yeah, and also yeah. just like, and what you, ex what you expected and like what you gained from it. And I just wondered, cause again, like I said, like we both come from a similar, similar place of like struggling with our definition of ourselves in terms of a racial identity. And I just wondered if the process of going through this book and reliving all the memories and all these stories from your own life, did it, did you feel like it brought you to a better understanding or more of like um, a confidence in your identity? I think so. And I think that a big, a large part of it was, you know, I, one of the, one of the reasons that I, that I finally sat down and said, okay, I'll do this is I was at a uh, indigenous Comic-Con and I was talking to these other like really talented natives. And I, I, my question was because of, it was looming in the air, whether or not I would do this. And 
And I asked them, do you think that this is something I basically said, do you think I'm worthy of, <laughs> of sharing my story? And they're like, there, there aren't enough of us telling our stories. We need as many stories out there as possible. And so I was in the, I was really in the frame of mind of, okay, it doesn't matter where I, where I think that I belong. If, if, if I can tell this story and somebody else relates to it, then obviously we belong in the same place. Mm -hmm. And so in that aspect, I began to feel a little more confident. And also the fact that they said, yeah, tell your story, you're a native. That meant a lot to me, mm -hmm. you know, just to be confirmed in some way. And, uh, and so there was that, and there was also, I mean, I, I had to come to terms with a lot of things while I was working on this book. Um, my history, my personal debacles, and then the things that I went through and, and put other people through, those things all, uh, those all, I, when you have to meditate on those things, and especially when you have to take the time to illustrate them and try and make them appealing visually, it's, it's a strange process. And, and, it, and it kind of compartmentalizes it in a way that I can look at it differently and say, oh, wow, I, yeah, this is, I must have done this. I must have affected this person in a certain way, or maybe, maybe I'm looking at this wrong because I'm now I'm trying to imagine what they're thinking. And it's, and with a little distance, I can see how, why they thought of me that way. And I understand it now. So there was a lot of benefits to having done it personally for me as, as a continually growing human being. That's so interesting that you say that about, I mean, like the, the difference between writing a prose memoir and, and creating a graphic memoir is that you, like you said, you have to visualize these scenarios and you have to visualize people. And I think maybe there's an element of, of yourself putting yourself back in these memories in a way that's maybe a little more visceral than a prose writer, because you really have to visualize it. And, such a, and that's such an important part of the, um, the memory. Did you find yourself when you're reliving some of these experiences, like, do you find the memories like changing as you were looking at them from different angles, like you said, like there's some things like you saw this, you lived through this thing from your perspective, but going back and, and creating the tableau around you, did it, like, did you have any revelations about things that you were just like, like even like, especially things that you felt were like formative to your personality, like, you know, right. like remembering like, oh, I remember when this thing happened and this guy said this thing to me and that totally changed my life. But then when you're going back into it, reliving it and drawing that other person, you're like, oh, now I can see that this is, something different than I remembered. Yeah, and, and also there's the, there's the added fact that, not to get political or anything, but when I was working on this book, it, I was very uncertain about a lot of things that were happening globally and, and uh, in, in this country, and, and uh, it filled me with a lot of despair. And I found that working on this book, looking back to the 80s and the, the, the nuclear scare of of the eighties, which was, it was the cold war was at its height at that time at one of its heights. And I, uh, I was terrified as a kid. And there is a part of me that while I was writing about that, because I had to come to a point of radical acceptance on that stuff, even as a kid mm -hmm. and realizing that, yeah, that was, you know, 35 years ago. And now I'm writing about it again, sort of, and, and feeling a lot of those similar feelings and maybe, in 40 years, you know, I'll be a 
90 year old guy saying, Oh yeah, this again, you know, and there was, and there's, there's something, there was something therapeutic about revisiting the traumas that I, that I endured and realizing the fact that where I'm at now is good. Like maybe not where I am specifically, uh, uh, physically, whatever, but who I am, I like a lot more than, than, uh, who I was when I was going through that stuff. And and that's incredibly heartening to me. Yeah. That, I mean, that is like the most powerful endorsement of making a graphic novel memoir that I've ever heard. <laughs> like that was very powerful. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you was, have you been surprised by the types of people who saw themselves in your story? Uh, I, well, you know, it's the pandemic and, and the people who have reached out to me, a lot of them have been strangers. And so I have not been able to, you know, I mean, there's no identifiable characteristic to them where I would have them as this type of person or whatever. So it's mostly people just reaching out and saying, you know, I also had this happen or I felt this way. And, and what has been surprising to me are, is the universality of a lot of the things that I thought were entirely specific to myself Mm -hmm. and hearing people say that exact thing happened to me. And, you know, obviously there's, there's nothing new under the sun and the things, anything that we've been through, somebody else has been through it before. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new. And no matter how crazy it is, somebody has, somebody has experienced it. And so to me, the, the joy is when somebody who has experienced it helps you through it. And hopefully that's, what the book can do a little bit, you know, I mean, not to get grandiose, but, you know, even if it's just like, yeah, that happened, it was awful, but guess what? I'm fine now, you know, and you will be too. And, uh, that has been, that has been really astounding to me, the people that, and especially people who I didn't know at all reaching out to me and saying, Hey, I just read your book. I wanted to say this. I mean, then it, then it feels like maybe it was worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I, one of the things, uh, there's so many things I love about the book, but one of the things that I that I really love about it, just like in terms of your approach and your voice as a writer, is just like how accessible it is. Because there's this like, just like you were talking about your childhood fears of nuclear war, there's like a sense of like flailing and having no answers and just trying to figure things out. That is just like a through line through the whole book. It's like it's not only about identity, but it's about fears of like familial instability, world war, all these kind of things. And I feel like, especially now, there's so many people that I'm sure can identify with, with just that feeling of fear that I'm certain when things open up and, and you can actually have face-to-face conversations with people at cons. Like, I have no doubt that this book is going to be like a resonant book for, for many years, especially coming out of the other end of this um, pandemic. Well, thank you. I mean, that'd be, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> But the one one big question I want to ask you is, and this is the big question that everybody wants to know with with memoirs is, is how did the people you included in the book react to the way they were depicted? And and how did your loved ones react to seeing your life, as you said, with all its triumphs, but also struggles and insecurities and failures laid so bare? Yeah, I have to say that um, the people who are the closest to me that that are included in the book, because there are people who were very, very close to me and played huge parts in my life that were just not in the book because I didn't feel that they would 
want to see themselves in that. And so they were, it's just, you know, the huge chunks missing, but what can you do? And, um, but the people who are, I mean, I was really worried about my sister reading it and I told her I was doing it. And then, and, and she was the first person to read it. And I was prepared to say, forget it. You know, if, if she's not on board, I don't want to do it anymore, you know? And, uh, but she, you know, she said, yeah, you need to, you need to talk about this stuff and you need to share that this stuff happened. And, and so I was concerned about her. I was, you know, I was, but my oldest friend, he read it and he's in it a, a bit. And he's like, his response was, yeah, you hit all the major points, you know, which was exactly what I needed to hear. I was like, okay, so, all right. <laughs> so it's been, it's been pretty varied. I don't think anybody has read it and been angry at me. Uh, at least they haven't told me yet, but if there are, uh, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are, <laughs> I'm sure there are, but nobody has, nobody has made any, uh, obvious attacks on me on that yet. Yeah. But like you said, this is your story and, and you're entitled to your rendition of, of the way things happen. Well, and I tried um, to make it very clear that this was my, this is what was happening mostly in my head. You know, a lot of it mm -hmm. was was very obviously, but in the very first few pages, I said that at least that's, that's how I saw it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that continued to be the, the through line. This is all how I saw it. And this is how I, this is how I saw it. This is how I see it now. Right. And there's a big difference. Mostly. Right. Yeah. Right. Going back to your, um, your friend and your sister a little bit, and this is kind of a process question, but did you, did you, go back and have conversations with people as you were writing this thing to kind of corroborate memories or get other people's takes on memories or to fill in some of the gaps uh, in your past? Mostly if I did that at all, it was pretty surreptitiously, mm. you know, just to, I wasn't sure where this was going. So I didn't want to freak anybody out or start or, or raise expectations or, or have anybody try to impose an idea about what it should be on me. I just wanted to do it on the sly as as quickly as possible and, and put it out there. Uh, and so most of the stuff, like I asked some some uncles what my mom was doing out in L.A. And, and but, it, you know, a lot of people just hadn't have no memory of it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so I just didn't include it. I didn't include those details if I if I couldn't remember specifically or if nobody else could help me on it. I just she was out there. That's all. Right. Right. Did you, when you first started writing out ideas for the book, did you, because you, because you come from a fiction background, like fiction, like you've written a lot of short fiction stories and you've illustrated a lot of fiction stories. Did you start with a general thesis or arc, or did you kind of let the story guide itself once you started digging through your memories? Yeah, it's strange. I, I don't think that I had, I knew that I had to get to Standing Rock, my brief time there. That was the main that was the main point that, that, uh, the publisher wanted me to get to was talking about that. And, and as I've said before, I am no ambassador for that incident and, and everything that went down there. I just happened to be there and it had a profound effect on me personally. And so I thought that I could, I could talk about it from that point of view, just how it affected me personally, which was a very profound effect. Mm -hmm. But in order to make, to, to legitimize that in any way, it had to be, understood why it had such an effect on me and in order to do that we had to get into all this stuff and all that mm. and uh mostly especially with the with the childhood stuff 
I found myself just wanting to share moments that were important to me. And so, you know, my mom taking the spider out of the bathtub and putting it outside is something I, I haven't forgotten. And I also remember my, you know, childlike fear of scorpions and that they're going to crawl in my boot, even though I never wore boots, you know, and, and those things are all things that have stayed with me for some reason or another. And so I found myself just wanting to share some of that just because it, I, I think it's kind of beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it was real and it was a very real moment. And, and so it wasn't all designed to propel a story. A lot of it was just, I remember this and I don't want it to be forgotten. So I'm going to draw it and I'm going to tell it so that it won't, it won't disappear. Right. I love that. I mean, I, cause yeah, like you're the memories that stuck with you for all those years define you and you might not even know why they define you, but, but hoping that they, you know, add up to something that like is in the general shape of a person. Not that yeah. this is your shape, but you know, like a general human shape uh, yeah. at the end of it. Um, as, as far as thesis, I'm sorry to cut you off, but as no, far no. as thesis, I don't think I, I don't think I had any idea until I was about 60 pages in. And then I, I was like, oh, the, the theme seems to be that I don't fit in, in a lot of these joints. Yeah. And, and suddenly it just hit me and it was almost an epiphany about myself where it was like, I guess that's kind of who I am then. You know, uh, I had, there was somebody in my life a long time ago who uh, was very close to me and, and we were discussing the, the types of personalities. And I said, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an alpha because I don't want to lead anybody. I don't want to be in charge, but I'm not a beta because I'll be damned if I'm going to follow anybody. <laughs> what am I? And she very, very like, matter of factly said you're the omega and i said well what do they do and she said well they're the ones that stand in the corner and complain <laughs> <laughs> i love Which, that you know i mean it's not wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that you know i think i might be an omega too now that you describe it that way let's <laughs> put it that way yeah i think yeah <laughs> totally when when you were going back and kind of like compiling your memories and rel reliving that stuff did you find um, did you find yourself unlocking memories that you forgot, especially as you were putting pieces together and trying to fill in gaps between events? I I am not sure if I could honestly answer that. You know, I'm there probably were, but what what happened with me was suddenly things that that seemed mystifying to me at the time, especially as a child, seemed to make a lot of sense all mm -hmm. of a sudden. You know, my what I perceived as my mother's distance from me when I, as I was growing up, you know, I mean, and, and it wasn't until I thought about my brother who had passed away at a very young age that, oh yeah, I mean, of course, mm -hmm. of course, you know, of course she's overprotective, but she doesn't get too close, you know, of course. Right. But as growing up, I was like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I right. do wrong? You know, and, uh, and my father, as I, you know, he's, he's an angry man and, a lot of the time, you know, not always, but a lot of the time. And uh, we butted heads constantly. And I always thought it was because he was disappointed in me. But uh, as I came to realize, as years go went on, and as I was working on this, that, you know, he and I are just too much the same kind. We're very similar, so similar in so many ways that, uh, you know, maybe what I perceived as disappointment was concern because he's, he's lived the life 
as as this type of person and he sees me going in that direction so it's like get your get your act together what's yeah. the matter with you get your act together you know and i was always like hey man you know you lived your life let me live mine but maybe he was trying to help and just didn't know how to express that so those are the things that kind of blew my mind as i was working on it yeah that's so powerful too and like you know again also being a child of the 80s like 80s parents didn't have the language that 2020s parents have they didn't have that like language of emotional support at least like you know i think you and i both grew up in like kind of small communities and they're just like people were not open with their emotions everything was bottled up and nobody had this like i mean people had the dr spock how to raise your children books but like other than that there wasn't like a conversation or discourse about how to support your your children so i feel like all of our parents are kind of flailing in a similar way well and they, and most of them are are our children of depression era parents and mm -hmm. you know the the boomer generation world war ii where it's like you know that whole i know that for him the ideology was like shut up and take it yeah be tougher and you know and and he passed that down to me but it was perverted by his own experiences so it's an even more twisted version of that right um one other thing i wanted to say and this is also like uh kind of leading because it's like in my hopes for what the outcome of having someday done a graphic memoir myself but when you finished the book did you feel a sense of relief tell me you just felt a sense of relief like you'd like figured something out you've solved something i imagine it just being like going through the most like cathartic therapy session <laughs> on the planet tell me that's what it was like when you finished the book well i i have to say that I have had that sensation before, you know, I'm in recovery and I've had to share these experiences with people in the past. And that was probably a little more cathartic than, than having labored over this thing for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then have it released in a pandemic in a strange electronic void, you know, so there wasn't a, uh, there wasn't quite that kind of uh, ethereal uh, catharsis <laughs> going on, but over time, I, I feel like I've put to rest a lot of the things that, that squirmed and wiggled inside of me that, that mm -hmm. I had difficulties with. And, uh, and it's like, okay, I've addressed them. I've addressed them in my life. I've addressed them in my, in my daily life, just trying to live. I've, I've had to deal with a lot of that stuff and now I've committed it and I can put it away. It's, you know, it's like, the Ghostbusters capturing a spirit in that little box and right that's that was floating around in the ether and it's <laughs> contained now and it's on the shelf and uh, I don't know what kind of catharsis that might entail but <laughs> for me it and I will definitely say that there was a degree of exorcism going on with it you know as far as as far as drudging up and articulating a lot of it just like when we talk to anybody you know, you, you have all this stuff going on in your head and, and you don't know how to solve it. And you talk to a friend and as you're speaking, those things, you have to articulate it. So you solidify them and then they come out of your mouth and the, the solution is already made. Right. Now, and by the time you're done saying the sentence, it's like, oh yeah, okay. And uh, I think that that, that was a, a version of that happened when I was, or when I was done with this book. Okay, I'll take it. That that that'll do. That, <laughs> you you will probably have an out of body experience, so I okay. Great, truth. thank yeah. you. <laughs> Appreciate that. That's all I wanted to hear. Uh, the other thing I was wondering is is having 
finished this memoir and having gone through the process of, of doing this um, and, and having gone through the process of like curating your memories. Have, and this is kind of like a little bit more of a philosophical question, but have you found that it's like changed your experience of life now? Like, like as you're like living your life, do you find it to be a little bit like looking through a camera lens because you're like, you know, qualifying your experiences or like, would these be worthy for immortalization in a memoir or do you find it just like you're done with that process oh i see what you're saying yeah 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 I, yeah um no. okay <laughs> no i feel like i briefly stepped into the sun through a manuscript in the grass and i'm now retreating back into the shadows you know <laughs> that's that's okay with me you know let the let let whatever work i do in the future be be as uh you know you can if you know me maybe you'll see me in it but but uh, aside from that, this is like, yeah, I don't need to have any more memoir worthy experiences. I'd rather just work and live peacefully. And <laughs> hopefully I got most of the, the insane stuff out of my system a while ago, unless it's fun insane. I'm all down for that, but pretty insane, don't need that. <laughs> awesome. Do you, so do you feel like you're, you're not interested in like the personal memoir format? so much right now as an artist are you looking more for and this is like kind of getting to one of my later questions is like what's on the horizon for you as a creator are you going back to fiction stuff are you interested in more nonfiction or more political stuff yeah you know i uh i think that most of right now i'm split i'm split a little bit and i'm just trying to figure out where the stream of life is going to take me because i i am continuing to work in comics as an illustrator I feel like I got a little bit hollowed out by this process, by doing this. And as far as expressing myself and, and my experiences, I feel like I've done that for a minute and I'm going to just work on telling some good stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's all I want to do. But I've also rediscovered a love of film and have been trying to make little movies and and collaborating with people again. And so and that's, you know, that's just for fun. You know, that's like my hobby now, but uh, I'm continuing to work in comics and I do have my own books that I've been working on fiction, fantasy, horror, stuff like that. The things that I love, my escapism. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm just trying to, just trying to accept things as they come and to have a nice time, you know, doing it. I'm very, I, I recognize how lucky I am yeah. at this point, you know, to be able to do what I do. And I don't take it for granted and I try to enjoy it as much as I can. And that's kind of my worldview. Wow. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's like such a great, that's a, a, such an amazing sentiment that, yeah, I mean, that's super inspiring. I mean, that's what I'm saying in my head. It might be something completely different, but when I articulate, <laughs> when I articulate it, that's what, that's what my thoughts are. Maybe I I'm love... panicking inside and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can deal with that later. We'll deal with yeah, that when the other yeah. shoe drops. That's fine. I feel like we're all kind of like all waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to ask you, and this is another kind of process thing, but do you have any advice for someone considering to make a graphic memoir? And would you recommend it as a format? You know, I, I would say my, my advice would be the same to anybody that has ever come up to me and said, expressed an interest in doing something creative, you know, which is just do it, just do it, do it. It doesn't matter if it's perfect or if it looks good or if it makes sense, it doesn't even matter if it makes sense, just do it, you know? And, uh, and as far as the memoir aspect of that, I, I would recommend everybody do it. Why not put it out there? 
I want to know your story. I would read it, you know, and, and the whole, the whole, you know, that last couple pages, you know, I, I start to exp- talk about this, this, uh, this thing that I thought of many years ago where I was reading and suddenly I was like, I'm inside this guy's brain. This guy is, he's not verbally talking to me, but I am listening to his thoughts. This is the closest thing to telepathy that I'm ever going to have. And, and, uh, so to, to communicate artistically is, 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 that's what it is. It's a communication and to communicate your story and your viewpoint to somebody else helps them understand you. And the more we can do that, the better off all of us are, I think, right? The more we can understand each other. And uh, hopefully I did that a little bit. And um, I think everybody should. Why not? Why not? Just do I, I want to know. <laughs> I love that. Jim, you're awesome. I'm so glad we got to have this talk. I can't wait to meet in person in a few hours. Uh, I have a few more questions I could ask, but I wanted to open it up to questions for anybody who's tuned in. So if the moderator would like to come back in or if we, I'm not really sure how this works, but. Um, uh, we, there are no audience questions yet. So if you want to keep going. Okay. Um, yeah, and people ask your questions now or tonight awesome. when you see them, but you know. <laughs> Awesome. Well, one question uh, I was dying to ask, and this is another like formal um, question, but in the second to last chapter, the second to last chapter of the book takes place at the Standing Rock protest in South Dakota, and it's a culmination of a lot of the book's themes. But what's interesting is that the format suddenly changes to more of an illustrated prose. And I was wondering as I was reading it, what the thought process was behind that and what your intentions were. Yeah, well, I knew that I had to get to that place to justify the memoir itself, but I did not, I had no desire to make it a cartoon like the rest of my story had been, you know, so it was always going to be some type of prose. And initially I just typewritten a story or, you know, typewritten it almost like a reporter. And, but that was so cold and so, you know, different from the feel of everything else that I realized I had to illustrate it and I had to hand letter it. And in the process of doing that, it became a little more conversational as well. Mm-hmm. And and it and it, I couldn't help but make it more personal, so it was always my intention to have that sequence be stylistically different, just because it's uh, most of the rest of the book is from my viewpoint, and this was me more observing and absorbing other viewpoints. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it to be distinct in its own way, but and then it jumps back to the more cartoony style that I had adopted for the rest of the book. Just yeah, I thought return to me. Right, totally. Again, I, I, I thought it was so interesting reading through it because there's something because it's not like you shied away from depictions of heavy topics before the Standing Rock section. So your illustration style, while it's expressive, it certainly wasn't like it didn't diminish the power of the stuff you'd addressed before that. But there was something about the format shift that that was jarring and unsettling as a reader in a way that I felt like it put me kind of in the same headspace that or like, like approximated that same headspace because like as a reader you get to that section and you're just kind of like what's going on is this going to how long is this going to last is it going to be like this for the rest of my life you know what I mean and, and I feel like it was like such a great it's just it was really effective whether it was your intent or not to unsettle the, the reader in a format perspective I felt like it was really um, effective and, and you and also like there's something about the comics format the juxtaposition of the words and the pictures that kind of gives your brain respite from 
from like consuming information in a, in a prose way. But when it's all laid out in prose, it was just like you lock in and you're in this world and you're engaging with it in a different way that I thought was just really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. That, 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 that entire moment in my life has taken on an almost, uh, you know, totemic importance to me. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to visualize it in a, uh, in a standard way. So mm -hmm. that was, that was the intent the entire time. Um, we have a question. Uh, it says, did you get to see your Batman tree? Oh, well, I'm out here. I've looked for it in the past. I have no idea where, where it is. There's a sequence in the book where we're leaving Los Angeles to move to the Chicagoland area. And I very vividly remember my dad taking me to the park that we would go to and there's a Batman palm tree, we called it. And uh, he put putting me on his shoulders and saying, look at it, Jimmy, you know, you might never see it again. And I probably haven't, but I am seeing a few of them out here. And I, and I did wonder about that. Years later, after I got sober and I came, I came out to visit a friend of mine out here in LA, I found the streets that I used to live on and as a kid. And I, I called my dad from there and I said, Hey, I'm on, I'm on our streets. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool, man. I was like, all right. <laughs> so, you know, the romanticism that I put on things is not, is not always uh, how they actually are in the world. <laughs> I, I have seen a lot of palm trees and it does feel good to be back here for a minute. We're happy you're back for a minute too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, um, I, have, I have one more question that I think might be appropriate for the for the bookstore host situation, but I wondered if there were any other graphic novel uh, or graphic memoirs that inspired you or ones that you've read since you put the book out that you'd recommend. This is a tough one. I've read the ones that I've read the ones that everybody has read, you know, and um, my my thing is I have not read enough of them and I plan to, especially now having done one and understanding what goes into it. But most of my influence was on, was on uh, prose memoirs that I've read in the past. So, I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about him now, but James Elroy's uh, memoir, uh, My Dark Places was hugely instrumental in me. Uh, in my life at that time, because he also talked about, you know, kicking some bad habits and, and that got me on a path. And, and I think that it was things like that, that I've read in the past that mostly influenced me. Um, but yeah, I've read, I've read a few and most of the ones that I've read have been at like cake, you know, and mm -hmm. I just pick them up from people and it's just like a brief, it's like a brief moment with them. And I always like those. And or the thinly veiled autobiographies like, uh, you know, uh, Dan Klaus or Peter Bag. Mm -hmm. I was a huge fan of hate because I, I felt like I knew that guy, you know, and uh, and so things like that, especially as far as making humor a a way of undercutting some of the more intense stuff that's going on. Um, someone's asking also if you have any live events scheduled in Chicago. I haven't scheduled anything yet except for C2E2 in December. So if you want to go freeze your, 
you know, your, your took us off, you know, you can, uh, you can come see me at C2E2 and I'll be there. Uh, uh, next year will we'll hopefully be a broader time of traveling to places and doing things and everything be open and a little bit more friendly. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, do you have any final thoughts or questions before we say goodbye for now? Um, Me or Jim? Jim. Either one. <laughs> Both. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say that I, I just want to express my gratitude for being able to talk about this and and for you guys to to have invited me to to talk about it on this forum and and especially Ezra thank you so much man it's been a great joy having done this book it's been a great joy that it introduced me to you because I, oh, I really enjoy listening to you talk I've 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 had the pleasure of being introduced to your work and uh, I'm looking forward to hanging out and hopefully whoever can make it to the store you know I'd, I'd love to meet you as well um, that was my final thought was to just say thank you to both uh, Jim and Ezra and everyone who's here um, for this amazing conversation. It's the best way to spend an afternoon. So. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much. And yeah, I just wanna say, yeah, thanks to the, to the bookstore and Jim, just thanks for making such a powerful book that I'm sure is just gonna be like talked about and discussed and taught for, for generations. It's just mm -hmm. a masterpiece. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hide now. <laughs> <laughs> Just spin off the. Um, well, thank you so much, and I will see you in a couple hours. Thank you very much, and thanks to anybody who's out there watching. Yeah, we can't see you, but we can feel you. Bye, everyone. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.